Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. For the first time, we're hearing directly from the ex-girlfriend of DFL Attorney General candidate Keith Ellison and her claims that he abused her. Karen Monahan did her first local television interview with Five Eyewitness News this week. She first brought the allegations to light days before the primaries in August and said she had video proof. During our KSTP Attorney General debate last Sunday, Ellison again denied Monahan's claim of abuse and insisted there could be no video. Monahan told Eric Shalou what it would take for her to release the alleged video. If and when I decide to share that video, it will be in a time that works for me. This is my process. My number one responsibility is my own self-care and doing what I feel I can handle. The DFL party chairman was also asked this week about Monahan's accusations against Ellison. This week, for the first time publicly, Ken Martin said he doesn't believe her. I really had a grapple with coming out to share my story. I had to face my own fears. Karen Monahan began conducting local media interviews this week for the first time since she made her allegations against Keith Ellison in August. I know I did the right thing. I don't regret that. She doesn't waver from her story that she was the victim of domestic abuse by Keith Ellison, something he denies. DFL party chairman Ken Martin has walked a tightrope between supporting her and supporting the DFL candidate for attorney general, including at this news conference on Wednesday. I support Karen bringing her uh, allegations forward, and I support there being an investigation into those. That's how you change culture, not brushing them under the rug, not discounting them. But when pressed on whether he now believes Monahan's allegations, he said this. We took them seriously. We conducted an outside independent investigation, and that investigation showed that they could not substantiate her claim of domestic abuse. And so I do not believe her. I believe our investigation. The attorney for Karen Monahan told us he believes the DFL investigation was, quote, not objective, unbiased, or impartial. The latest Star Tribune NPR news poll shows Ellison trailing his Republican challenger, Doug Wardlow, 43 to 46, 43 to 36 percent. The two sparred this week over a variety of issues. We'll dive more into those in political analysis a bit later in this program. Candidates across the state are engaging in their final debates and forums before Election Day. On Friday, 8th Congressional District candidates Joe Radinovich and Pete Stauber met to discuss the issues on Minnesota Public Radio. That includes how President Trump's policies have impacted their region. As I'm going around the district, that's what I'm hearing. The Tax Cut and Jobs Act have benefited so many manufacturing facilities and small businesses like the one my brothers and I own. And what I believe is that we ought to be investing in Americans and making sure that people growing up in communities like Crosby, Arrington, or Duluth, or in Cambridge have an opportunity to be successful in this country. And by giving away the money to the wealthiest income earners, we fail to do that. President Trump, you might recall, won the 8th District by a 15-point margin in 2016. Speaking of voting, Minnesotans continue to vote early in record numbers with just over a week until Election Day. The Secretary of State's office says as of Thursday, nearly 373,000 ballots had been requested and almost 250,000 had been accepted. That is a 145% increase from the last midterm election in 2014. Early voting ends the Monday before Election Day. 
Overseeing Minnesota's election process is just one of the jobs for the Secretary of State, and today we have both major party candidates running for that office in studio. DFL incumbent Steve Simon is seeking a second term in office. This year he's being challenged by Republican John Howe, a former state senator and mayor of Red Wing. And those two candidates join me in studio today. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us, Tom. Pleasure to be here. Let me start with, uh, with the challenger. Uh, John Howe, is running the election the, the primary duty of the Secretary of State and the most important duty? Well, I think everybody sees you as a head election official, and you are, but there's so much more to the Secretary of State's office. You serve on the investment board, you serve on the executive board, and you oversee all the issues of the business licenses in the office. So it's a very, very important, and that's why I think my private sector experience will work very well in the Secretary of State's office. You do have many duties, as you know, having held the office now for a few years. How do you balance those two things? Well, uh, every day is a different day, uh, and this is somewhat seasonal. Obviously, we're in the middle of election season, and I think the signature responsibility of the office is elections. I think if you were to go to out, uh, outside of your studio here on University Avenue, most people would talk about that. And my mission when it comes to elections has been really clear. It's to make it as easy as possible for all eligible Minnesotans to vote, period. On the business side, you know, I was a business attorney for 14 years. Uh, I visit all 87 counties every year, and I meet with a lot of business folks and chambers. And my mission there is to make it as easy as possible to start a business in Minnesota and to continue a business in Minnesota. That means cutting red tape and adding value to the business community. And of course, a big part of the Secretary of State's role is promoting voting, getting people to come out and vote. But after 2016, election security has become a huge issue. Uh, let me start with you, uh, Steve Simon. How important is that now? even more so than it was before 2016. It, it is tremendously important. Let me be really clear. The number one threat to the integrity of our election system in this country and in this state is the danger of some sort of cyber attack by someone trying to undermine our democracy. Now, I sat across a table from the Homeland Security Secretary, Kirsten Nielsen, just a few months ago. Her words are that what happened to us in Minnesota was, quote, an attack, end quote, and we're treating it that way. So whether it's engaging with private consultants, whether it's the partnership we announced last week with Microsoft, where we're bringing them in to enhance and modernize our system, whether it's inviting Homeland Security in to do all the scans and testing, it is job number one right now. And we kept the bad guys out in 2016, despite being targeted. We kept them out. We passed the test. We just got to keep one step ahead of the bad guys all the time. John Howe, from what you've observed, is the Secretary uh, of State's office doing an adequate job? No. Not at all. And, and uh, my opponent testified in a March hearing that we were never uh, hacked uh, by the Russians. We weren't even attempted to hack. And this is just another example of fear mongering. It's what the Democrats are using with the health care about, uh, about pre-existing conditions. I've been on the campaign trail with all the candidates. No one's talking about removing uh, pre-existing health care uh, conditions and from insurance. But it's just a fear mongering thing. But I will say that Cybersecurity is important. I think we, you know, we're one of the few states that actually has a National Guard cybersecurity unit in our state. And we should utilize the National Guard along with MinNet, not just on the uh, elections platform, but across all of our platforms in our state agencies to improve cybersecurity. But let me just point out that under the Help America Voting Act, the Election Assistant Commission authorized $6.6 .6 million to increase our cybersecurity and, and improve our voting machines. And yet the current Secretary of State has failed to spend a dime of that. Well, is it, it fear-mongering? <laughs> no, it's not fear-mongering. I, mean, I don't think the Department of Homeland Security and the Trump administration is fear-mongering. This is across party lines. I'm a Democrat. She's a Republican. Everyone agrees. 100% consensus in the intelligence community. This is what happened. To say otherwise is just pure fiction. We were attacked. 
That is a fact, and now we have to deal with it, and we are. In terms of the National Guard, we are using them this election. I've been in contact with the Adjutant General, General Jensen. He's going to have at least one person in our office who's going to be helping us and monitoring. Uh, and in terms of the federal money, you know, that was a great, horrible legislative failure. We got $6.6 .6 million. It's true from the federal government. It required the legislature in Minnesota to do a very easy thing, two sentences in any bill. It didn't matter what bill. Instead, that got fouled up at the end of the session in a fight with the governor. It was unnecessary, but we'll get that money next year. And more to the point, last year we got $7 million successfully to local governments to buy new elections equipment. But That's it was the governor who vetoed that money. It was ultimately. his own party, and that tells you how ineffective the secretary, current secretary of state is. Well, I think uniquely with his office, to talk about Democrats this or Republicans that, I mean, that's virtually disqualifying. The idea of this office is you put your party aside, as I have done, and when you get in that office, you take off your red shirt or your blue shirt, and I don't think it's very good for the office to start campaigning on what this party did or that party did or talking about Democrats this or Republicans that. That's not the office. The office is to be fair and neutral always. I, I, I believe that the office should be a nonpartisan. It shouldn't be used for partisan political advantage, and, and my opponent has used it on that. He didn't give the Trump administration any information. There's certain information, and he's also not uh, releasing the private, the ineligible challenge voter status. He'll give you all the eligible legal voter, but he will not give it. And it's even worse than that. He's been uh, but a court order has ordered him to release this information that he lost on summary judgment, but the Attorney General arguing on his behalf says he has the discretion on who to give to. So talk about partisan politics. That's what we're looking at. Quick final issue, just 30 seconds on this. Do you see a day when voter ID will be required in Minnesota? You know, I don't think we need to go there. We have, we have our same-day registration process. The problem we have is we have 26,000 people at the start of the 2016 election that failed the verification process. That's where we really need to put our attention to. Here's our record for the last three elections. This is fact, not fiction, not conspiracies. 99.999% honesty rate in Minnesota. I trust our law enforcement. I trust our city clerks. I trust our county auditors. They're the ones doing the frontline electioneering. They're smart, they're honest, and they're effective. So that's no to voter ID from both of you. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay right where you are. Big changes are coming to Minnesota in the 2020 presidential election. We'll talk about that and the other main function of the Secretary of State's office dealing with Minnesota businesses after a break. Now, a lot of people might not realize this or have forgotten about it, but a couple of years ago, the Minnesota legislature uh, passed a law that is going to change us essentially from a presidential caucus state to a primary state. So we're going to join most other states right. in doing it that way. But what a lot of people might not realize is that when you go to vote, you're going to have to declare for one party or the other to participate in their primary, and that information will be public. John, how is that a good idea? That's a terrible idea, and I think uh, you're... We have a history of having a secret ballot here in Minnesota. Now, who you vote for isn't going to be public information, but how you voted, whether you voted Republican or Democrat, will now be public information. And I think that just shatters our, our secret ballot in Minnesota. And I think it's just a horrible idea, and I think um, I'm going to work to change that. That is literally going to be a sea change here in Minnesota. Yeah. Now, it doesn't, you're not beholden, right, to, in, in the general election, you can vote for anybody you want. But That's right. at least people are going to have, according to public records, you'll be able to determine whether somebody leans one way or another. Yeah, but I think there's hope here. Uh, as I said, I travel to all 87 counties every year. I talk to a lot of elections administrators. we got to get this fixed. Uh, it's something that I opposed when it was passed. The primary is a good idea, but not that piece. And so what I have floated, the two political parties when it was passed, Republican and Democrat, swore that their national parties required 
this information to be in their hands. Fine, it can be in their hands, but my idea, which I've already been floating by legislators, is, well, let's compromise then. Let's not make it public. There's no reason that your friend, your neighbor, your employer should know what your political party allegiance is. There's a reason we've never had party registration in Minnesota. So we've got to get, got to get that off the books. I'm confident we will. People will hear from enough folks in their counties and local jurisdictions. We'll do that. If you were elected, would you seek a change? I, I would seek a change, but I, I'm just going to tell you, Tom, that's an incredible mission of failure on my opponent's part. Incredible mission. Because he was there, and, and, uh, and now I think he's changed his tune because I've been talking about this and educating people about it. But I, I can tell you that uh, we need to change it. Um, and it goes back to that partisan politics. I mean, all the government is doing is collecting data for the, gov for the uh, parties. And uh, people don't want to have their party affiliation. You can see how divisive politics is right now. You want to keep how you vote and which party you support. Uh, that's between you and your God. Did this pass when you were in the legislature or as Secretary of State? No, as Secretary of State. So I obviously didn't have a vote. Uh, and I thought it was ill-advised at the time. But we've never had party registration. We've got to get that off the books. And I think people are going to demand it. Otherwise, you're going to see a chilling effect. People are going to stay away. They're going to say, I'd love to vote in the presidential primary, but I don't want my friend, neighbor, or employer looking up what party I am. All right, that's going to be a fascinating uh, issue to keep an eye on. Let's talk about the business function of the office. The Secretary of State, a lot of people don't maybe realize this, is kind of a gateway uh, to job creation in many ways. People want to file uh, a business. What would you like to do with that function? Of well, I think the Secretary of State's office needs to be the one-stop shop for all the uh, business uh, registrations and filings. But I think it even goes a step further. I think as a Secretary of State, not only should you be doing the public appearances, but you should be out there uh, working with the legislative body to try and make us a little bit more business-friendly. I think a report just came out that we're one of the most uh, tax-unfriendly states in the United States. And certainly, I think my, uh, as mayor, it made me be a better state senator. And as a state senator and a business owner, it would make me a better secretary of state. But we can do a lot of things to improve it. You know, one of the things that you have to do every single year is re-register your business license. And, uh, and I, don't, I think that you shouldn't have to do that. Because if you don't do it on time, somebody can walk in and grab your business name from you. So obviously, as secretary of state, you don't have taxing authority. But you are part of the regulatory environment. Would you like to see it streamlined a little bit? Yes, and we have done that. Uh, for example, there are all sorts of businesses that try to convert from one business form to another. We have cut down the red tape, cut the number of steps, both online and in person, that you have to do. It's about adding value, I think, from our standpoint. Let me tell you a quick story. I met with a veteran right after I was elected who said, I'd like to connect with other veteran-owned businesses. Is there a list? No, there was no list. So we took advantage of the fact that all businesses have to file with our office, and now there's a box you can check. So anyone in Minnesota now can see who the veteran-owned businesses are, who the women-owned businesses are, who the retailers are, ag, etc., different categories, tremendous value for the business community. All right, and we are out of time, but these are the two major party candidates for Secretary of State, Republican John Howe, Democrat Steve Simon. Thank you both for being Thank here. You. Best of luck to you yeah. on the campaign trail. Glad we finally got you guys in the same room on the campaign yeah, trail. Thanks. I said this is their first uh, joint appearance, so thank this you is. both for Thank being you. here. Up next, Darren Broughton and Brian McClung will join me for political analysis, and we'll have our KSTP Survey USA poll results for the first district congressional race between Dan Fian and Jim Hagedorn. We are getting a better idea on where voters stand in the first congressional district race between Democrat Dan Fian and Republican Jim Hagedorn. It is now the most expensive congressional race in Minnesota in terms of outside spending, topping $10.7 million as of Friday. Here are the results of our exclusive KSTP Survey USA poll from the first district. Oh, 
Dan Fian and Nancy Pelosi would take us backward. Millions spent on negative TV ads. Please don't wait. Vote no on Jim Hagedorn November 6th. The candidates tangling in debates. Why do, why do we yeah. accept that as the basic underlying cost? I, I'm why do we you. accept that as the idea? Our new KSTP Survey USA poll shows Democrat Dan Fian with a 47 to 45 percent lead over Republican Jim Hagedorn. 8 percent undecided. The race is well within the polls, 4.4 percent margin of error. I think this is wide open. It's a toss-up. It could go either way. Turnout is really going to dictate it, and it's hard to predict turnout. And we see momentum. We see enthusiasm on the ground. But I don't take it for granted. With the race so close, both candidates say they'll stick to their messages. It's a competitive race, no doubt about that. There is a gender gap, with Fian leading by 15 points among women. Hagedorn leads by 11 among men. If you think that things are better after, for Minnesotans after Obamacare, I, I mean, that you really one, need to get around that. There's a reason health care dominates debates this year. It's the top issue, cited by 30 percent in the first district, followed by the presidency, jobs in the economy, taxes, and immigration. People, I think, will be voting with health care forefront in their mind on November 6th, and we've tried to lay it out that we aren't sat Status quo isn't working for people right now. Half of them don't like Obamacare because uh, it's crushed them, devastated them with premiums uh, through the roof, with deductibles so high the insurance is worthless. The other half probably wants socialized medicine, to be honest with you. And thank you for what you're doing for our country. President Trump won the first district by double digits two years ago, which could help Hagedorn. However, our poll shows Fian leads on the health care issue by a big margin, while Hagedorn leads by a wide margin on taxes. For those not happy with President Trump, Fian has a big lead, while Hagedorn dominates the jobs and economy issues. And you can check out the full results of our KSTP Survey USA poll on the Vote 2018 page at KSTP.com. We also have a new truth test with an ad targeting the Democratic candidate, Dan Fian that you can check out on that page as well. And joining me now for political analysis, Brian McClung and Darren Broughton. Thank you both for being here. Let's quickly take a look at the outside spending numbers in these four congressional races. It is astounding how much money has been spent. We broke the record early last week. Now we're just smashing the record. You can see a total of about $37 million so far, $10 million more than the previous record sent uh, two years ago. And there's still another week to go in this campaign. These numbers will grow markedly in the next several days. Uh, Brian, what do you make of that? I mean, it, it, it shows what we've been talking about for months, a lot of national attention on Minnesota. Well, and all of these races right now are within the margin of error. All of them could go either way. And it is remarkable that half of the congressional races in Minnesota are targeted and are on this list. There's no other state in the country where 50% of the congressional seats are up for grabs and you're seeing this much national attention. So I think even in this final, you know, eight days or so, you're going to see more money come in. It's getting more and more expensive, though, especially for the outside groups. They are spending lots of money per gross ratings point to buy ads. It's becoming difficult for them to even place new ads at this point. You expect it to continue, I imagine. Oh, it's going to increase. I mean, Brian's right. I mean, we, having four competitive congressional seats, I don't know the last time, even after redistricting, we've had that many open seats. You know, the first is actually the most fascinating, how high that total is. 
part of that is when you get to southern Minnesota, you have to compete in not just the Twin Cities, Merck, and Rochester, but also Mason City, La Crosse, and Sioux Falls. Now, until this week, the third district race was the most expensive. Now it's been supplanted by the first district. But we did learn late this week that Dean Phillips is putting in $1.3 million of his own money in that race. He says to keep up with all the PAC money Eric Paulson's getting. What do you see going on here? Are they showing polls tightening? Yeah, they're showing definitely. I think that shows polls tightening. And I think that some of the polls have had Dean Phillips with a slight lead, but I think that Republican enthusiasm is growing. I think Republican voters are getting more excited as we're getting closer to Election Day. So Dean Phillips saw that. Now he's putting in his own money. So it makes it harder for him to make the case about how he's independent, all of those things, when he puts over a million dollars of his own money into that race. And, and speaking of uh, endorsements and things, uh, Donald Trump, the president, endorsed Eric Paulson, who has been going out of his way to separate himself from Donald Trump. And then, uh, Darren, as you see, this tweet came out earlier this week. That helper hurt Paulson. Oh, that definitely hurts Paulson in that district right now. I think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing uh, the spending going up in that district and why Phillips is putting more money into this race, too. I've also heard down in the first district when Trump came to town to Rochester was when Fian started to move away uh, from uh, Hagerdorn down there. So the Trump piece is affecting down there, too. Let's finish with, with the attorney general's race because uh, we just got a, a minute left. A lot of mud being uh, slung about in that race. Do you expect that to continue right up until the polls open? Well, yeah, last month you had a Star Tribune poll that had Keith Ellison up by five points. Now you have Doug Wardlow up by seven points, a 12-point swing. And Keith Ellison's in a lot of trouble. I mean, he has very high name ID, so if somebody's not supporting Keith Ellison at this point, I don't think they're likely to break towards him. So I think Doug Wardlow is in a very good position in that race. But Ellison's campaign and the DFL party pointed out that Doug Wardlow had to return some money that came from a family that owned a for-profit college that was defrauding students. Are things like that going to help Keith Ellison try to even things up? It will. The other piece to recognize, too, even in the last month, Wardlow's numbers aren't actually moving that much. Ellison's numbers are very fluid in the, in the polling right now, so it's still anyone's race, but obviously it's going to be close on Election Day. All right, just over a week to go till Election Day. Darren and Brian, thanks for being here. Much more is on the line for the Minnesota Vikings this week than just a win. We'll explain that when we come back. When the Vikings take on the New Orleans Saints tonight, more than another win will be on the line. Saints punter Thomas Morstead and his foundation are teaming up with Vikings cornerback and kick returner Marcus Sherrills. They're raising money to give the best Christmas ever to families in need. Whichever team wins tonight will get 60% of what's raised. The losing team gets 40%. You can donate under the links tab at kstp.com. You may remember Morstead was among the few Saints players to return to the field after the Vikings' dramatic game-winning touchdown in the final seconds of last year's divisional playoff game. Minnesotans noticed Morstead's sportsmanship and donated $220,000 to his charity. You can listen to episodes of At Issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We have links posted on the At Issue page at KSTP.com. And that's all the time we have for now. We hope to see you back here again next week for another edition of At Issue.